Now we're joined by the experts at Vetify, a new data analytics and thought leadership company that is transforming financial services from an industry to a community, one relationship at a time. We can deliver value to that advisor because that's what they're telling that they want to engage in. We want to make sure that we're putting the right pieces of content in front of them at the right time. Tom, how have you been? Welcome back to the podcast. Been very well. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. It's like uh, 75, 80 degrees here today. Perfect day. Usually it's much hotter, so it's just nice. I'm sitting in studio here, but looking out just at a perfect blue sky, not too hot. I love it. That's great to hear. That's awesome. All right. So look, you and I have talked multiple times this year about uh, how not much is working in portfolios, right? The S&P 500 is down 18% year to date. You look at broad bonds, those are down 11%. Most other asset classes are negative outside of primarily commodities and uh, some alternative strategies. And I think the easy takeaway is simply that the market environment has changed, right? 2022's market is not last year's market. However, it's one thing for us to say that, to say that the market's changed. It's another to have some very interesting data to back that up. And that's exactly what you have for us this week. You've gone back and looked at your advisor behavioral data in 2022 compared to 2021 and even uh, 2020, as I understand it. And we're going to walk through that this week. Now, uh, as always, before we do that, I know I ask you this every time you're on the podcast, but we we do always have new listeners joining us. Do you mind just briefly explaining where this data comes from? Absolutely. So across the Vetify platform, our our mission is ultimately to educate advisors and, and investors of all stripes along their financial journey and and ultimately be a a resource and a tool which will help them achieve their results. And so we do that through, you know, a real focus on education and also, you know, through an array of content that we're putting in front of them every day. You could think about articles, you could think about tools, you can think about webcasts, you can think about video content, all these sorts of things are are pieces of digital um, content that they can consume ultimately aiding their decision-making around portfolio construction and ultimately, you know, hoping that we are helping in their journey of, of client success as well. And so all of that interaction that we have with the community across the Vetify platform generates a lot of data. So we have a really good finger on the pulse of what people and what specifically advisors are looking at at any given point in time. And Nate, we're, we've talked uh, about this data in the past, and what's interesting is that our archive of data goes back a long way. And, and so one of the projects that we've had is, is going deeper and mining insights that are longer term in nature. And we're going to tease a few of those out now. And as we think about um, you know, how busy advisors are, there's a lot going on in their lives. I'm sure you could attest to that. There's a lot of uh, demands on their time. So the, the time in which they're doing in-depth research about investment strategies, portfolio construction, you know, specific products, it's not 100% of their time. Uh, they've got you know, client conversations, prospect conversations, a whole bunch of other things that are going on. But what we try to hone in on is that when an advisor is in that mindset, and so for every minute or every half hour or every hour of time that they are doing research, where are they focusing that time? And we can, you know, slice and dice the data that we have in a number of different and interesting ways. You could think about of every 30 minutes of time, how are they spending that time as an advisor on specific asset classes, 
specific investment strategies and then drilling down all the way um, you know, down to different products and, and where they're spending their time analyzing each of those products. Ultimately, all of that gives us a window of insight to inform how do we deliver more value to that user? What is the content that we're putting in front of them? What is the research team, the thought leadership team, our editorial team? What is our data science team, our product team? What is everyone working on to better the lives of that advisor? And that's what we're going to talk a little, a little bit today when, when you say, like, we're going to pull the lens up. I think it's a fascinating time in markets over the last couple of years. And there's been, to your point at the setup, uh, some pretty big shifts. And we're seeing that in advisor behavior. Yeah. And to be clear here, so w- what exactly did you look into this week with this data we're going to look at? And I guess why? What, what intrigued you about uh, looking at this data? Yeah. So what I looked at, Nate, was at the asset class level um, and and then a couple of slices of specific uh, drill downs where advisors are spending their time. So when I say asset class, so think of alternatives, commodities, U.S. fixed income, international fixed income, international equity, U.S. equity, those types of high level kind of perspectives on where advisors are spending their time. I did go a little bit deeper when we talk about U.S. equities, for example, into, into the high dividend space. And I want to talk you know, briefly about that, although that's a well-trodden path. I think you've talked about it in the past. But it's, it's at that level. And then I did you know, continue on down the path of when folks are looking at some of these areas of, of, that stood out of the, uh, jumped off the page in terms of where they were spending their time. Also on some of the specific tickers and strategies that they were looking at within the broader context of that asset class research. Okay, so that's perfect. Let's get into this data. I'm very curious. What stood out to you? What did you uh, find as you looked at this? Sure. So, you know, the first one um, it isn't going to be a surprise to anyone, but it, it really jumps off the page when you look at it from a behavioral perspective. And, and, and maybe before jumping in, Nate, it's worth so the, the data set that, that I analyzed here there's three data sets. So I looked at June of 2020, June of 2021, and then also June of 2022, albeit, you know, there's a couple of days that we're missing in that month, but it, it's statistically significant. So we can compare the three. And, and if, you, if, you know, as much as maybe, you know, maybe we don't want to, but just from a pure markets perspective, if we roll back a clock and think about where the market was and where investor sediment and where advisors, um, needs and demands were happening when we go all the way back to june of 2020 it was very very different than what we're experiencing today and then also june of 2021 you know going into last summer there was a bit of a reprieve in what was going on in COVID. there was you know some some broad-based optimism you know some of the case numbers were coming down the summer was somewhat normal when compared to 2020 of course things you know changed in the fall but, but it's those three data points are those points in time that I, that I looked at. And so the first one that jumped off the page was, was the interest in technology. And so, so ultimately, um, you know, we've seen in the markets, we've seen in flows, we've seen in performance, but we also see it in advisor behavior. So that was, it was somewhat flat between, you know, advisor interest in June of 2021 versus 2020, but we see it really dive off of a cliff um, as we look at June of 2022 versus either 2021 or 2020, it's, it's about half. And, and so to use that same metric that I mentioned up front is that if we think about um, a minute of advisor attention focused on the technology space, and if, if before on the broad asset class analysis, they were looking at you know, the equity space and within it technology, and before if they were spending 
you know, 20% of that, that time allocated in June of 2021, they're now spending about 10%. Mm. And so it's down by about 50% year over year. And that makes a lot of sense in terms of what we're seeing in the broader market and, and this larger shift of, um, you know, risk off, uh, some of these high growth names getting scrutinized, valuations coming in. Um, you know, advisors are, are concerned about other things within their portfolio and they're looking elsewhere. And so we're, we're seeing that in, in a big, big way in the data. And, and so, again, just to be clear, I mean, what you're seeing is ETFs that uh, track the technology sector or actively manage technology ETFs. You're seeing a significant drop off this year compared to last year and even going Correct. back. Okay. Correct. And, and even even more broadly, Nate, like all of the content would be tagged, even at the article level, at the video level, all of that type of thing. We're seeing a broad based decline in the interest in that type of content. Um, and so that's not only at the ticker level, but it's, it's across the different kind of content platforms. You know, what's interesting to me about that, like I think about just the news flow over the past week, and I'm sure you saw that uh, Facebook or, or Meta and Netflix were added to the Russell 1000 value index on Friday. And I, I tweeted this out, but you, you know what else was added? PayPal, GameStop, Pinterest, and Zoom. All those were added to Russell 1000 value. And uh, I, obviously, I, I keep referencing Twitter, but uh, Bloomberg's Eric Balachunas, he tweeted out that this was the index equivalent of when Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains, uh, and I, I think he had somebody else in there became part of classic rock. Uh, which, you know, I love that reference. But the, the, the bottom line here is that value is now working better than growth. And, uh, you, you know, you look at the performance here to date. Wall Street Journal over the weekend had an article that said Russell 1000 value is outperforming Russell 1000 growth by the largest amount at this point in the year since 2002. And if this holds, this would actually be the largest annual outperformance by value since 2001. And so... To me, again, it makes sense. I know we, we, we look at this data, this, this different data that you slice and dice uh, every month or so, but but I think this one is right in advisors' faces. They see this changing market regime, and I think what will be interesting to see is if value ETFs start popping up in your uh, your Vetify data. Well, exactly. Well, and they, you know, it, the, the Russell uh, 1000 value versus Russell 1000 growth is somewhat emblematic of this broader shift that we're talking about. And, and, you know, for so long, for nearly a decade between, you know, 2010 and, you know, up until not that long ago, you know, growth was just highly outperforming value. And we're seeing a, a fairly big sea change in that regard. Um, to, the, to the point about where advisors are doing their research, you know, one thing to make make very clear is that that's not to say that advisors don't believe in certain asset classes or, or certain, um, you know, elements of their portfolio construction. A lot of advisor conversation is driven by what's on top of mind of their clients as well. So they need to be armed with data and, and tools to dissect and, and talk about positions why they're either holding or in a rebalance they're, they're actually buying more of. And so it's not to say that advisors are selling out of this space. But it's that they're not, uh, you know, the demand on their time from a research perspective isn't as high, which is different than the flows. All right. So technology ETF research is down. What else did you find? So another one, Nate, and we'll touch on this briefly, because as I mentioned, it's somewhat well-trodden path here. The interest, you know, uh, this is interesting because I think that it's something that has been somewhat consistent in a changing market is that the, the thirst demand uh, for yield 
remains really, really high. And a lot of advisors, they, they think that that's one of the biggest problems within their, their portfolio is where to find consistent yield, especially advisors who you know, manage money for a maybe a bit older clientele who, who has uh, income needs either at or in retirement. And so what, I, what jumped off the page to me was this consistent interest in, in high dividend yield. So in 2022, that has just gone up over 2021, which was up over 2020 in a meaningful material way. And so as we roll back the clock to um, you know, June 2020, very different market environment, wasn't as much interest as there was in 2021. And now that need for yield and where folks are looking, it, they, they continue to come back to the high dividend yield equity space as an area to find and solve for that problem that they have within their portfolio. Yeah, I think there's certainly an element of a, of a thirst for yield or hunt for yield here. But I think the other thing with this space is just the performance. If you go through and look at some of the most popular um, high dividend ETFs, they're all significantly outperforming the S&P 500. I mentioned the S&P 500 down uh, 18% year to date. Some of these high dividend uh, yielding ETFs are actually positive. Or if they're down, they're only down a, a few percentage points. And I, I actually saw an article, I believe it was yesterday from Bloomberg, where they noted dividend ETFs have taken in about $25 billion this year, which they said is a record. And they said that if inflows uh, continue at the pace they're at, of course, given that we're halfway through the year, they could reach $50 billion by the end of the year, w- w- which would blow away the prior uh, record. But again, I think it really comes back to returns and the fact that there has been significant outperformance here. You start looking under the hood of, of these ETFs, and uh, Todd Rosenbluth and I, again, covered this a, a few weeks ago, but you know these ETFs tend to be heavier in sectors like uh, energy, which has been the top-performing sector this year. Utilities, these are areas that are doing really well, or at least much better than the broader market when you think about something like utilities. And I think you have a, a growing number of investors who they just don't want to stand in front of the rising rate uh, freight train on bonds. So they're, they're actually much more comfortable taking on equity risk and dividend strategies to, to get income. I think that's reflective of flows. I think that, that's reflective of what you're seeing on uh, the Vetify platform. Well, that's exactly right, Nate. And, and I think, you know, and we can move on to the next insight. But, um, you know, you, you mentioned some of the, the change in valuations, things that were, pre, you know, previously within the high growth, you know, higher valued categories moving into now uh, names that are value. The look under the hood component is is very important as advisors and investors are looking at how to gain, you know, exposure to uh, dividend paying equities or high high dividend paying equities. The construction, the composition, not only are they very different amongst the, the, you know, the array of products that are out there, but some of the composition is changing based on the underlying valuations. And, you know, Goldman just came out with a great piece that, that walked through how some of the, you know, the utility sector is, is generally, you know, highly valued right now. And so just to, like you say, crack open the hood, do the research, understand, you know, what exposure you're getting, what the expected outcome is in different market environments. I think that's never been more important across all asset classes, but for sure within the dividend space as well. All right. A few minutes left here. Any other uh, data that, that stood out to you here? 
Yeah, and, and maybe this is the biggest one, Nate, and, and um, you know, maybe, maybe last and, and certainly not least, but, but fixed income. And, and so this, this conundrum that advisors and investors have had, I think, is, is one of the areas that is the most challenging. And so we've seen a, a, a fairly big shift in attention on this area, you know, specifically the U.S. fixed income slug of our, of our research. And so uh, the 2022 engagement up significantly over 2020 and then, and then uh, sorry, 2021 up significantly over 2020. And then that trend continues 2022 over 2021. So sort of this longer term uh, increased focus on, on the world of fixed income. And so, uh, you know, a couple of areas within fixed income jumped out to me where um, advisors were spending, you know, uh, an overweight of their research attention, if you will, is in the short duration space and then also the exposure to municipal bonds. And so when you unpack a couple of, uh, you know, areas within there, uh, advisors are very much worried about um, rates and they're worried about inflation and they're worried about what those mean to the fixed income component of their portfolio, be it 40%, 35% or 30%. But, you know, as, as they look at, at, at rates and they look at that risk, they're certainly looking to decrease the duration risk. And they're doing that through, you know, there's a number of different strategies out there just to pick a couple. Um, you know, uh, there's, there's active strategies that are short duration in nature, and there's also index strategies. So, JPST, you know, VUSB, those are a couple tickers that are more active in the way that they um, achieve that exposure. BIL, SHY, those are a couple of, of tickers that are, are index-based short-duration strategies. But, you know, Nate, I think that you, you've talked quite a bit about fixed income and, and the challenge here and, um, you know, the, the risks and understanding them. And so as you think about specifically this focus on fixed income and, and pulling in duration risk, um, you know, as an advisor, how, how are you thinking about that? How are you positioning, you know, given that, that there's so many moving pieces and it's quite dynamic? Yeah, we're going to need another hour to get into all that. But <laughs> you, you know what I would say, Tom? Look, I people know I always say I, I don't have a crystal ball. But I was talking early last year, I think even going back to 2020, that the risk-reward dynamics in uh, fixed income as a whole didn't make sense to me, especially taking on significant duration risk. It just did not make sense to me in the environment that we were in. And I mentioned this uh, rising rate freight train on bonds. You know, I've always been of the belief bonds are bonds, stocks are stocks. So that's fine if advisors want to look over to the, the high dividend yielding equity side. But I've always believed bonds play a very important role in a portfolio. They are a ballast and, and it, they're a good way for you to control risk within a portfolio. And so when you talk about uh, th this interest in shorter duration ETFs, I think there are a growing number of investors who are content to just wait out the current market environment uh, and, and do so by parking in shorter duration bond ETFs. They can scoop up a little more yield than obviously being parked in cash, not do any real damage to their portfolios, even if rates continue to go up. And my, my guess is there are also some uh, investors who are probably betting on a more dovish Fed, which that could help shorter duration bond ETFs if front end rates started to decline. But I, I just think it's a... It's an easy place to hide out. And this year, you again, just where we started at the top, I mentioned broad bonds down 11% this year. So popular ETFs like AGG, the iShares Core U.S. Aggregate Bond ETF, or BND, the Vanguard Total Bond Market ETF. Th those are very popular holdings in advisor portfolios. 
And advisors look at performance and see those down 11% in, in that, say, 40% allocation, that's not a great place to be. And so I think advisors just continue to shorten up duration, and they're looking to products that you mentioned, something like JPST, the J.P. Morgan Ultra Short Income ETF. I just pulled up the return on that. It's actually down, but only down about a half of a percent. That's a lot better than being down 11%. Uh, Mint comes to mind, the PIMCO Enhanced Short Maturity ETF. Uh, and then just shorter-term treasury, something like the Spider Bloomberg 1-3-month to three month T-bill ETF, BIL, th- those sorts of things. So, yeah, I, I think, Tom, it makes a ton of sense to me that that's where you're seeing interest on the platform. Well, and real, uh, really quick, you know, you mentioned the, the ag down 11%. Um, you know, that's not a spot that any advisor, you know, I, I don't think that is currently practicing has ever been in. Like, in, in terms of uncharted territory, the performance is, is as bad as it's been year to date as, as I think, you know, the data goes back 40 plus years. And so I think this, this area where advisors are, are really scratching their heads and really taking a very fine look at, at how they're gaining that exposure. The only other thing I would add, Nate, and, and you and I have touched on this and, and from an optimist standpoint, the white space of the ETF industry to continue to innovate and provide advisors more solutions um, within the fixed income realm, I think we're gonna see that continue. I think we've seen, you know, some some really in, innovative products come to market to date, and I think that's going to uh, do nothing but give advisors more choice of how they want to handle that in client portfolios. Hundred percent agree. We we've said for quite a while that there's a lot of white space, particularly in the actively managed fixed income uh, ETF arena. But Tom, excellent insight as always. Thank you for joining me this week. Thanks for having me. That was Tom Hendrickson, Chief Product and Innovation Officer at Vetify.